0: every day. Traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli.
1: What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Jeremy Bacon. Futures Radio show is sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Now, if you're enjoying the show, everybody, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, and RJO Futures. To learn about some great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com sponsors. Today, I spoke with the CEO of Imagineer Technology Group, Jeremy Bacon. I had a fun and educational chat with Jeremy. We talked about the growing popularity of the e-mini S&P 500 ESG futures. ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. I would highly recommend you go to CME Group's website to learn more about these futures as I think they will continue to grow in popularity among traders. Now back to today's show, Jeremy explained why there are so many people looking into these ESG futures. And listening to him, I started to think that COVID-19 could really accelerate this trend of popularity. So Jeremy and I discussed that as a real possibility. He talked about how BlackRock has been a leader in the ESG space. And last but not least, we talked about maintaining balance while on lockdown. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Jeremy. So
0: I am a, an entrepreneur, I guess is the best way to describe me, and that I've been building you know, sort of buying, selling, building companies for the past couple of decades now. But before I jumped out to become a software entrepreneur, um, I spent my early formative professional years trading uh, personally and professionally. Uh, So in undergraduate and graduate school in the U.S. and in Japan, uh, I experimented with, uh, like a lot of, I think, young uh, 20-somethings do, with uh, with the art and science of trading and, and became enamored of it uh, as an action and as an activity uh, and actually pursued uh, my undergraduate and graduate work in, in economics while while trading a bunch on my own. Um, that took me to work for a bank in Japan for a while where I got a chance to trade currencies and then work in capital markets there and do structured product uh, before moving to the U.S., And the work at Goldman Sachs, where I was in the institutional equities business, uh, working with uh, trading firms from, you know, uh, everything from futures and options traders and derivatives players all the way up to the biggest of the big pension funds and hedge funds and everybody in between. Um, And and so I had a great time sort of learning the business from the inside out uh, as a trader and then as someone supporting other traders and institutional asset managers.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing with Imagineer Technology Group?
0: Yeah, so today I run a software company that is called Imagineer Technology Group, and we work exclusively with asset management firms of all shapes and sizes. Uh, So we have uh, individual proprietary trading firms that we work with, uh, as well as some of the largest institutional asset management firms on the planet, be they hedge fund managers or traditional asset managers, And we focus exclusively on uh, making marketing, investor relations, and communications tools for them. Uh, Think of us, you know, in layman's terms, we're a super awesome version of Salesforce, but done way better for the asset management industry. So as a result of what we do, we have an opportunity every single day to work very closely with uh, some of the biggest uh, asset management firms and and hedge funds on the planet, Uh, many of whom trade everything from, you know, plain vanilla equities through to the most crazy of all Uh, derivatives and other contracts you could possibly imagine.
1: So about a month ago, you and I were on a call, and we were just chatting about markets and everything going on, and you said to me, you know what, Anthony, one of the things that's really a powerful trend right now in the futures industry is the growth of ESG futures. And honestly, I wasn't even too familiar with them. Uh, They are environmental, social, and governance futures. They're actually called the E-mini ESG futures. Uh, For those of you that don't know what they are, uh, we're going to talk a lot about them today. So you maybe want to Google them on CME's website. But yeah, so you just said to me, you know, this is just a a really powerful trend right now When we're seeing in the industry. Why do you think this is such a big deal?
0: Well, I think the the Futures product itself is a big deal because it's it's indicative of the fact that this concept of ESG as a thing in the investment management community has come of age and it's now real you know, for years, uh, this notion of environmental, social, and governance issues was kind of a secondary concern for investment managers, whether you're, regardless of what you're trading, regardless of your strategy. But I think what we've seen over the course of the last couple of years is that um, the institutional investors and pension funds have grown really big. Uh, and, and they have, uh, as part of growing very big, they've also come to a point where they've kind of had to uh, began to take these issues extremely seriously from the vantage point of an investor, and that's really started to drive uh, a number of different and impactful things, if you will, in the community itself. Um, from a uh, from the perspective of driving additional value in portfolios, uh, to the sort of um, influence they're starting to have on companies themselves to take these ESG and socially responsible and, and impactful. Uh, investment ideologies to heart and actually start running their businesses uh, around these principles, or or at least with the principles in mind. Um, That's kind of a winding answer, but um, I like to look at data. I think most of us as traders at heart look at data and and, and appreciate that um, that side of the the world, um, perhaps more than others. But one of the things that we've seen over the course of the last decade and change in this industry is that – You know, really, the capital markets are in the middle of a sea change. So, back in 2006, um, there was a a set of rules and principles that were um, that were that were backed by the United Nations. Actually, they're called the Principles for Responsible Investment, or PRI. And when they were first launched, there were only 63 investment companies or asset owners and asset managers um, with about six and a half trillion dollars in assets under management that actually committed and signed up to sort of. Practice these policies and to back them up and try to drive them forward. Um, What's interesting is that by the summer of 2018, so just a couple of, well, I guess 12 years later, um, the number of signatories that are that that had signed up for this sort of this uh, this PRI set of principles had grown to 1,715 managers, uh, and almost $82 trillion in assets under management. So in this 12 year period, we've gone from this period, this, this sort of point where investment managers kind of think about, thought about, knew about this, this notion of socially responsible impact and, um, you know, responsible investment methodology into a world where, you know, they've really sort of taken ownership of it and are now leading the charge. Uh, and that's a big deal. That's why we saw in you know in October of last year the CME released the first uh, futures product uh, to be able to trade um, this stuff. And there, there's also a whole bunch of different equity ETFs that exist now um, that have all been sort of burst over the course of the last couple of years um, because this is a real trend that's not going away anytime soon. That was kind of a long answer, but that's that's sort of the, that's sort of the heart of it.
1: No, it's so interesting to me because it's just not something that I would have thought of as becoming a futures market, you know, and, and hearing mm-hmm. from you, mm-hmm. seeing how big it really is, it's surprising. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like a lot of us are surprised by it. Because you know, even, even last year, in talking with, with several of our own clients, you know, um, literally last year and talking to some of our own clients, they would say, yeah, ESG, it's a thing. I'm not sure if I care that much yet. I'm not sure how much I need to care. And then, you know, fast forwarding six months, nine months, and those same conversations are now totally different. Right? Um, and they sort of turn on, turn, turn on their head. You know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time, and therefore, you know, it's an exciting time to have a new product out there to start looking at and, and
1: working with. It's also an interesting time, I think, coinciding with COVID nineteen because I think that this kind of aligns with it in in a weird way, right? I feel like the the, the world has changed a bit after COVID nineteen. I think, to say the least, we don't know exactly how, but when you look at these futures, and you talked about how they were already trending you know, environmental, social, and governance. I just feel like, boy, there's going to be some interesting companies and investments going into this space following COVID-19. I mean, what do you think about that?
0: Well, I think you're a hundred percent right. Right. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, when you've got, um, when you've got asset managers like, uh, BlackRock, right. And Vanguard and, uh, State Street and the Cal and CalPERS and, other just massive institutional investors that are going to companies and saying, "Look, with or without COVID, we require—like literally—we are requiring that you run your financial products with ESG in mind, and that you hire analysts, and you train PMs, and you force sort of ESG thinking into your investment process and into your mandate." Um, that alone says big things. But then, when you take a a, a a pandemic like what we what we're experiencing with COVID. Um, and you add that to the mix. I mean, it. It. it on. Honestly, on one hand, it makes it uh, absolutely easy—air quotes easy—for for any business manager, um, from a small company to the biggest of the big, to embrace these notions of responsibility and governance uh, and um, sort of impactful action as a business. Um, but on the other, uh, I think it also opens up new ways for them to, for companies, again, regardless of their shape or size, to get really creative about how they deploy and ultimately how they market the way that they are, um, you know, living these principles. A few years ago, you know, it wasn't unheard of for a, to, to talk to an executive of a, of a large company, a publicly traded company in one form or another, and have them, you know, tell you that, yes, you wasn't even top of mind. It absolutely is now in uh, a lot of conversations I've been having with those CEOs and software companies and other businesses over the course of the last couple of really weeks now that we've all been um, on a quarantine. You know, I'm actually starting to hear um, people talk directly about how their uh, their new internal policies, guidelines and um, and sort of playbooks for the future of their employees. Um, are also starting to overlap with some of their ESG policies and things internally too. So I, I think it's uh, I think COVID going to have a massive impact for these companies and really give us all another opportunity and excuse to learn more about the the, the principles themselves.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, when, that's why I was so excited to talk to you today because I was looking at these ESG futures and, and how you were talking about this big trend that's in place with them and COVID-19, I think, is just going to accelerate this trend that was already in place. That it To be quite honest with you, I knew about it, but I didn't have any idea it was as big as it was. And and, you know, it was, it was funny because I was actually talking with several of my friends, you know, are or, or all on the phone a lot these days, you know, at night and uh, staying in contact with all of our friends. And one of my friends uh, had mentioned, he goes, you know what this feels like? He goes, I feel like we're getting in like into that point where, did you ever see that movie Judge Dread? <laughs> yes, I did.
0: Was, that was one of the, uh, one of the more interesting slot movies, but yeah. <laughs>
1: so. Yeah, I know. It was one of those Stallone movies that it, it wasn't, wasn't really good, but you couldn't look away either. And he, yeah, he was, no, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So we were talking about that and he's like, you know, because he was talking to me about the markets and everything. He's like, I, I don't know why, Anthony. He goes, I feel like that's kind of <laughs> where we're headed. I'm like, it's probably a bit extreme as to where we are. But in some ways, I think some of those things that are going back to that movie, I feel like we we could see some of that in society going forward.
0: Yeah, you never you never know, right? Strange, like truth is stranger than fiction, as they say. So, uh, who knows what comes tomorrow? But um, what I do know is that, uh, or what I'm pretty sure of, is that um, it's also up. Experiences like these that sort of help the light bulbs go off for people, right? And and give them a new sense and a new new way to think about stuff and, and to approach it. I think what's interesting too, I think oftentimes like this whole concept of ESG is kind of nebulous in that the reality is that investment managers and traders aren't the ones who are driving ESG or that maybe I should restate that investment managers and traders help to drive ESG and the priority of it, but the, the people at the end of the day who are actually responsible for um, implementing ESG policies are the companies that those managers and traders are actually investing in or trading in, right? And so, when you talk about like what does ESG mean at the corporate business level, ultimately, and and how do they have to respond to this? It means that at the end of the day, companies have to sort of rethink their culture, right? And uh, publish a, I don't know, a statement of purpose, you know, as, as an organization for and really change their values. I think it's also no um, no coincidence that we're seeing a, a bigger impact now uh, and a bigger uh, and a lot more attention being paid to ESG. With the, uh, the really the, the coming of age of, uh, the millennials in the workforce and Gen Z as the starting to enter the workforce now. Um, you know, there are very few people, I think, that are under the age of 50 in this country or pretty much any other country on the planet at this point that would argue that it's, that, um, that corporate leaders, um, have a responsibility to play in helping to alleviate challenges and burdens that impact the world right whether it's purely socially focused or not like and so i I think that's a that's another big driver that we get to look forward to and when i say that i mean because you know the, the 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 trend for esg is it's 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 only going to get more important it's only become a bigger and bigger thing and therefore again the opportunities to trade in and around the securities of companies uh, and directly, and or via futures contracts to, to to sort of take advantage of the success that companies are having in driving better, more profitable, more sustainable businesses. Uh, it, it, it just it's it's going to grow exponentially over the course of the next several years. Um, so there's a real sea change here. It's kind of cool.
1: Hey everybody, a quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 index is a key benchmark for small cap US stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index Futures contract symbol RTY. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit ftserussell.com. No, definitely I I, I feel very bullish <laughs> of of what's happening here with the with this ESG I haven't traded them yet. I haven't even looked at the chart yet because I wanted to talk with you first and just kind of get an idea of more of what they are. I always tell everybody before you trade any product, learn more about them. And I'm just going to be curious Mm -hmm. to see how how these futures trade and just I think this space in general, even going beyond the futures. uh, Actually, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you you work so closely with a lot of these uh, financial services companies. Um, Yeah. How has, let's take it from the COVID perspective, because I do think that that is what's going to accelerate this trend from here. I just get the sense of that's what's going to happen. So what are the implications right now that COVID-19 has had on some of these financial services companies that you work with and how maybe you you could see what's happening with them start to accelerate this upward trend that you and I have been talking about in ESG?
0: I mean, I think, I think the, the, of the E, the S, and the G, it's the S part, the social part that is uh, that, that, that will, you know, come to the forefront here uh, over the course of the next, whatever it is, weeks, months, and years on the back of COVID itself. I mean, asset managers themselves have been impacted the way that every other business has, right? Everyone's had to move into a work-from-home mode and uh, has really sort of had their personal lives and therefore to, to a certain extent the professional lives, um, you know, Uprooted, uh, to, to, to you know, to, to a great extent, um, but at the same time, the you know the the impacts for the asset management industry from COVID are, are certainly far less intense and far less, uh, aside from performance right, portfolio returns, and and, and, and uh, success of trades and whatnot in the, in the near term, um, certainly far less impacted than than the vast majority of the rest of of, uh, of the world economy. Um, but I think what you'll what you'll start to see. Um, is that, um, you know, materiality matters. And so as companies themselves start to reinvigorate their, um, ESG, uh, I guess, profile, um, and or seek to add to it, particularly around the S part of it, the social side, I think you'll see an increased emphasis on this notion that materiality, um, around uh, really matters, um, Meaning that sustainability investing is about materiality and materiality is different for every company and for every industry, right? So like, uh, and there are different organizations out there today that have sort of identified the material ESG issues for um, pretty much every industry on the planet um, and, you know, develop these really complicated classification systems and ways for people to look at things. But because the reality is that, you know, material issues for companies in food, beverage, and retail and distribution are very different than those in um, professional services and, uh, and and asset management, for example. And so ultimately, it's incumbent upon every company and the, the, the teams that run those companies, from the senior executives through the middle management through to the, the frontline workers, to sort of define and refine what ESG means to their business and, and how. They, which levers they can pull to most successfully drive increased value for their business by being ESG centric. And that's really, that's really what it comes down to, right? At the end of the day, um, an individual business needs to pick and choose the things that are going to drive its profit margins and or the success of its business in the near, medium and long-term. Um, and those ESG, uh, material impact levers, if you will, um, you know, need to can and should be pulled in by those companies as they see fit. And it's ultimately that sort of pulling of those levers that drives financial returns for the business and therefore financial returns for the securities that are, that are uh, tradable um, around those, uh, those trends.
1: What are some of the companies out there, individual names? I know this is a future show, but I'm curious that are helping mm-hmm. these financial companies and just businesses in general, with this environmental and social governance?
0: Yeah, well, from the investment manager's perspective, I think we've seen real leadership from, uh, I I would throw BlackRock out there at the very top of the list. Um, I mean, it was last year that Larry Fink, maybe even in 2018, Larry Fink started to promote pretty actively the importance of sustainable investing um, inside of BlackRock. So what's interesting is you know although he's been touting the the importance of sustainability and in, the incorporation of ESG principles into the portfolio management and asset you know allocation and, and asset selection process it's still a multi-year multi-year process for them to sort of train their staff to think holistically the ESG analysts and sort of general portfolio analysts were separate, right? You'd have your ESG group in some dark corner of the office doing their work, almost like the quants were back in the early 2000s, right, before quants ruled the world. Um, very similar things happened with ESG. But what you're seeing now, and again, BlackRock's did a great job of sort of leading the charge there. They sort of, you know, push these teams together, uh, bringing the best of both worlds into the portfolio um, creation and asset selection and asset allocation process. I think you've also seen some really powerful hedge funds that have stepped up to the plate here, and they've started launching direct funds because there's demand for it from their institutional investors. And the two that come to mind uh, in particular are like Jana Partners, and obviously a very big hedge fund manager. Um, they launched a, a fund, I believe it's called the Jana Impact Capital Fund, or GIC, I think is what they call it. Um, and they went out there actually from almost moment one, and they, along with Calsters, right, massive pension fund, started applying pressure almost day one after the fund launched on Apple to actually um, try to get Apple to change some of its policies um to uh, to benefit to, to better benefit its sort of youngest users. Um and Apple responded uh, almost immediately to the to the threat and the challenge that uh that, that Calcars and JANA brought to them and actually made meaningful and, and impactful changes to their policy around um the way that um their youngest audience members are able to interact with and use their products, which is a pretty big deal. I know um Value Act Capital also launched a value I think it's called the Value Act um Spring Fund if I'm not mistaken. Um, so Jeff Ubben, uh, there he he uh, he's a big believer in ESG, and he launched a big fund. Um, and uh, again, it's sort of like from day one, and said, look, we're gonna we're gonna hold companies, gonna force companies to sort of live these standards and, and improve their standards, and and also to drive better returns. And you actually see that now, too, like for the first time, you're like, we have enough history, enough data now to actually be able to go back and look at the financial returns that are produced by companies that are practicing what they preach as it relates to ESG. And what you're finding is that um, those companies that, that, again, take the material issues seriously and drive their businesses around those and, and reinvent themselves to, to focus on, on their ESG um, do better uh, and have better financial returns, ultimately, as a business, and therefore, create more shareholder value um, in the marketplace. So it's really interesting. The last thing I had something to say there too, is what we're also starting to see, and this is where I think things be exciting with futures um, uh, both across uh, a market generally and then um, uh, with other financial products as well, that they sort of focus on individual sectors and even regions across the country, across the world rather. We also see that um, ESG success factors kind of vary by region. So for example, in for most European portfolios, um, the the trend is that the governance piece is then particularly important for determining outperformance of the underlying companies. But like for North American uh, portfolios, the environmental factors have had a much bigger impact over the course of the last couple of years. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I also really like ESG is because it's it's there's a lot of complexity here, uh, and there which means that there's also a big need for the creation of Everything from better data sets to analyze how companies are actually doing what they say they're doing and how impactful that actually is on their business and therefore on the world and their employees and everything else. Um, which again, just leads more opportunity for traders to find edge, right? And that, that to me is really, really cool.
1: Hey everybody, I wanna take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. Yeah, it really is. It's fascinating to me. It's just one of those things that I didn't know too much about until you brought this to my attention and bringing it to everybody else's attention out there. And a couple more things before we get into rapid fire. Uh, You at Imagineer, we talked about how you work with fund managers. How are you helping your clients during this COVID nineteen time deal with the changing environment that we're in.
0: It's a really great question. Um, you know, for us, we've really tried to focus on customer continuity um, as the sort of number one thing we can do to drive value and, and assist our client. In this period, uh, you know, most companies uh, aren't, weren't, haven't necessarily been set up to be able to be totally remote and have all their staff working from everywhere. In the investment management and trading world, you, you tend to find that trade, traders and TMs and, uh, are, are generally set up with work-from-home um, facilities just for disaster recovery, business continuity planning, and things like that. But the rest of the organization rarely had, rarely was um, across the board. as we found anyway. And so, for our clients, you know, they've had to make this rapid shift to getting everyone comfortable, situated, and able to work from home or wherever they need to be during the shelter at home, you know. Um, uh, requirements, if you will, and so our mandate and, and our task internally has been to, to to do everything we possibly can to support every single user of our platforms, regardless of where they are. Uh, whether that means we're troubleshooting issues for them <laughs> that their I, own internal IT teams haven't been able to to deal with yet because of the the, the challenges they have. through to uh, in one case, we actually shipped a, shipped a client a PC so that they could uh, a new laptop, so they could actually could keep working because they're they are having issues with some equipment and things. So. Um, That's been our mandate is just love the customer, serve the customer, go above and beyond, do everything we possibly can to help them um, because this is a tough time for them, right? Like a lot of our clients are doing really well. Some of our clients are doing less than super well, but like regardless, you know, because we focus on communications and marketing and really sales for these folks, um, they need to be able to communicate with their clients and it's our, our job and our responsibility to make sure that our platforms work. But that we can help them make them work, and so that, that's really in our focus: keep the keep the customer relationship at at the center, and, and just drive forward for them.
1: It's funny you mentioned that you had to ship equipment, and you know, uh, my, my wife's in real estate, and we were she was asking me about helping her doing some like virtual open houses and just maybe some. Online stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm always on mm-hmm. social media, specifically Twitter and obviously with the podcast and I've done video shows and stuff like that. So I'm very familiar with it. And I went online to actually order some webcams cams and, and things like that for her and couldn't get some of the things. Uh, or the, mm-hmm. the prices were just like through the roof for a webcam that I have, a real nice one that I that I know it's a good one because I've used it. I tried to get another one. It was like three or four times the price <laughs> during this time. I mean, I'd, you don't even think that you can't even get a webcam right now.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Blessing and curse of, uh, of, 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 of capitalism as well, where even if you can, sometimes you're paying way more than you probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Know really unsettling, yeah.
1: The last thing I want to talk about before we get into rapid fire is wellness. Uh, You know, I've gotten to know you a little bit. I know that you and I both have a passion for wellness and this is a time where I know that all the traders, I know that we're all kind of used to being home or being in front of our screens a lot anyway. And we're very fortunate because it is busy and we're able to work Uh, and, but it's also, I think. Difficult to unplug from it. I know even for myself, I have been so disciplined on my wellness over the past several years that I've even found myself getting into a couple of funks uh, during this time. Mm-hmm. But for you, what, if, what are some of the things that you've been doing to unplug uh, during this time?
0: The first thing is that I've been doing everything I can to not change my schedule, Um, which has actually been kind of hard because normally I work from uh, our offices in downtown Chicago, but I live in the Burbs. And what that means is that, you know, every morning I get up at 4.45, I have some breakfast, I do some emails, I jump on a train, I get downtown, I work out, then I hit the office. Um, The blessing and the curse about being at home is that, you know, I I have a gym. I'm very lucky to have a gym in my house um, and I can... I can roll out of bed, do my thing, hit the gym in the morning. Um, but if I hit the gym here in the morning, I wake up my family, my kids, and my wife, and that's doesn't work. So I've had to sort of redo my, 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 my own schedule. Uh, and I don't know if this works this way for you, but for me, it, uh, because I sort of force myself to be a creature of habit and follow a schedule and a routine. Um, when I have to break that routine, it, it, uh, it messes everything up. And so what i found is that, um, you know, if I don't do my, if I don't take care of myself first thing in the morning, um, it's much harder to find time or feel like I can justify the time later in the day. Um, and, uh, so that to me, so that for me has been a big, has been a big adjustment. So I've done, I've been doing a lot more, um, even though it's still kind of cold, um, a lot more outdoor stuff in the mornings, um, super early. So I can stay out of the hair of my wife and my kids and then, I've, you know, been catching a lift or whatever in the afternoon, um, sometimes with one with one or two of my kids and, and that's been kind of fun. Um, but I mean, in the short version of that super long story that I've been trying to just do everything I can to not break my regular routine. Um, for me, everything falls apart when I, when I, when I get too far away from my, from my uh, regimented routine.
1: Yeah, same here. Pretty similar. What That's what I've been trying to do is just stick to a routine. I'm a routine person like you as well. So for me, sticking to a routine was not difficult. But what I did find was some like these doldrums where you're sitting around going, well, I could do that later. Or, you know, you're sitting there right. going, uh, you know, kicking some stuff down the road because you, the days are longer. <laughs> you know, some of the mornings I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to trade yeah. from now till then. The trade doesn't occur or all of a sudden I'm in this time where I uh, I have – you know, more time on my hands, and, and the times I try and just sit there and trade a little bit more have not been uh, fruitful. So, <laughs> what I started yeah, to do right. was, yeah, I, I put actually have been putting things on my calendar and just like, you know, look at you're going to do a YouTube video, start planning it. What's the next idea to do this? Yeah. You know, what's some more ideas for podcasts? I mean, I've actually put stuff down to where I get notifications from it. So, this way <laughs> I really hold myself to like doing some things. I'm walking away from the saying. Yeah, uh, I might have eaten a little bit more on this particular day or maybe had a few more drinks on this particular day, but I'm walking away from this achieving some things. <laughs> and so I've had to right. actually put them right. on uh, my calendar to do them. Well, it's important.
0: I've also been lucky uh, that um, I have another another company that I started with a couple other friends a few years ago, um, and it's, it's actually a wellness-focused uh, business where, where it's an outdoor recreation, uh, outdoor adventure park. We're, we're building... North America's largest, uh, jungle gym. And, uh, and we actually opened up this summer. So COVID has been a, has been, a, it's had a, obviously a terribly, uh, not great impact on that because we're, you know, we're the, the the 11th hour of our construction and whatnot for this massive 300 acre park where we're building the largest jungle gym and ropes courses and zip lines and climbing towers and mountain biking and amphitheater, all kinds of crazy, awesome stuff. Um, but as it happens, uh, I live just about one mile away from the actual site. And so I've also, because I'm home every day, I've been able to get out and go down to, and spend more time on site, um, at, at, on the construction site. Um, and uh, because we're, we're almost done with all the, the ropes, forces, and towers, I've been able to, you know, don a harness and a helmet and get up into the, get up into the canopy with, um, you know, with some of the crews from time to time. Practicing safe social distancing at, at all times, but, um, but that's been a nice stress reliever as well. Super stressful on one hand because construction's delayed and, you know, we're, 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 dealing with all the challenges associated with that and our crews and our teams and our contracts and everything else. Um, but it's also been really uh, refreshing because it's, it, it's a super cool playground to go play on. <laughs> so that's been nice.
1: Such a fun conversation with you today. I can't wait to pull up ESG on my charts when we get off, but we're not done yet. I have some rapid-fire questions next if you're ready for those. Sure, sure. All right, everybody. Our rapid-fire segment is sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You can try it now for free at tryttnow.com. Jeremy, first question for you, what trader has influenced your life the most and why?
0: A guy named Kenichi Watanabe. I worked with him, oh geez, briefly on the Forex desk at the Tokyo headquarters of a bank called Tsuga Kinko back in 1997. Uh, he had a big impact on me because he was not a very good trader. <laughs> he sat at his desk literally sweating bullets all day, every day, placing the absolute minimum number of trades he possibly could get away with uh, and risking the least amount of capital possible. Uh, like, I mean, he'd be in and out of a trade literally within a few seconds each time and happy to win or lose, you know, a couple of thousand dollars at a time. Um, and it was a great influence on me because, uh, he was the first guy I realized, uh, A, should not have been trading at all. And B, it was a great, uh, lesson for me, uh, in sort of learning how to, to, to separate my mind, um, and my, uh, what emotions from, from the trade
1: itself what was one of the hardest things you've had to overcome in the trading industry?
0: Well, I think the idea that trading itself was super glamorous. Uh, When I was in grad school and undergrad school, I was enamored of the idea of of, of trading itself, you know, cornering a market, making a boatload of money in the process, pulling you know, pulling a, uh, on a, a billion-dollar currency uh, trade or something like that. And when I actually started to trade, I discovered that I didn't really have the passion or the intensity for trading that I would need to be as successful as, at it as I knew I wanted to be. Um, I was more interested in the long game and the, the underlying structure of a portfolio and a, and a, and a, and a company or a position. Um, and um, uh, getting around that uh, was, was super, super tough for me.
1: What is one attribute that you believe every trader should have?
0: I think traders have to be dispassionate, um, preferably not by nature, because that seems kind of depressing. But as a trader, right, you have to learn to be dispassionate about the market, uh, about a position, about an asset class, whatever it is you're trading, and just and and, and focus on the fundamentals of the trade itself uh, in order to win.
1: Favorite book about trading?
0: Uh, market Wizards. Uh, It's the book that I I read that got me super excited about the industry in the first place. So definitely that one.
1: What's the best piece of advice that you received about trading?
0: Oh, man. Uh, As with most things in life, if you're serious, like really serious about being exceptionally good at it, you better give it 100% of your energy, 100% of the time, or you're going to get your face torn off.
1: If you could go back in time and give the younger you a piece of advice, what would it be?
0: It would definitely be, don't listen to your dad's advice about buying gold coins in 1986. Buy the (laughs) Microsoft stock that you wanted to buy
1: instead. (laughs) That's the one. If you had Elevator pitch me your edge in the trading industry, what would you say? At this point
0: in my life, uh, I think my edge is that I'm able to be dispassionate about individual positions. Um, I only trade when I have an evidence-based conviction in the thesis that that I'm I'm working on. Um, But I'm always ready to be wrong, and I don't get bothered by being wrong when it happens. I'm I'm able to to get the hell out and not make the mistake of doubling down on a bad trade.
1: Last question for today. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working?
0: Uh, I love hanging out with my wife and my kids. I love being outside, running around, biking, running, swimming, doing whatever I can, Uh, and I'm super passionate about reading and learning whatever I can every single day.
1: Jeremy, where can people find you on social media, preferably Twitter, and give us a website to check out?
0: Sure. Uh, So you can find me on LinkedIn at Jeremy Bacon and on Twitter also at Jeremy Bacon. Um, And let's see, the best website to get me at is probably ImagineerCRM.com. That's our, as the mentioned, website.
1: Jeremy, what can I say? This was such a fun conversation. I, I learned so much from you today about ESG futures uh, and, and really just a lot of fun talking about wellness and, and everything uh, that's going on right now. Thank you so much for joining me on futures radio show.
0: Of course. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to futures radio show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.